Hebrews Bible Study, number 9, the third exhortation, part 1. For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 20. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. While various translators have split this passage into two distinct pericopes, this misses the law and gospel dynamic employed by the author 
to spiritually edify the Hebrew congregation, to separate both halves of the passage and look at each in isolation is to miss the dynamic message intended by the writer, especially in terms of the chiastic structure. Nonetheless, one of the reasons for the artificial split in the passage by translators and publishers is that the message of law, which the author proclaims, is an extremely hard one, which has befuddled exegetes for centuries. Luther famously called Hebrews 6 verse 4 a hard knot because of the difficult implications presented by the text. Here, we will carefully examine the meaning of the sections of this passage week by week, starting with Hebrews 5 verses 11 through 14 and tying them all together. First, law section, Hebrews 5 verses 11 through 14. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, chapter 5, verse 11 states about this, We have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Starting the passage with, About this, the author refers to the previous verse, in which he began to speak about the Melchizedek priesthood, the order to which our Lord Christ was appointed in his high priestly station. He admits that this is a difficult task because the Hebrew congregation was dull of hearing. As hearers of the word, they slid away from sound doctrine and could not truly listen to the message he wanted to give. Note, however, that he does still give the message concerning Melchizedek in chapter 7. It is evident, then, that the author believes his message in Hebrews 5 verse 11 to 6 verse 20 will enable the congregation to hear it. He is not calling them idiots, but saying that their ears must be opened to hear this message and encouraged before hearing what he will say. The third exhortation, then, is serving as a preparatory message before going deeper into spiritual truth. There is also an issue here which the phrase hard to explain raises regarding the perspicuity of Scripture. The Bible teaches right doctrine plainly for all to see and benefit from. However, this does not mean that every single phrase, verse, or word of Scripture is necessarily easy to understand, let alone teach. The concept of the Trinity, for instance, is relatively easy to demonstrate from Scripture. One may find the relevant verses which prove that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each fully divine and also distinct, put them forward and leave the rest to mystery. The doctrine of the hypostatic union, however, or even the theology of the cross, these are understood after much study and discernment, making teaching them in a succinct way almost impossible. 
Understanding the iconotheological implications of Moses and Joshua requires careful study and understanding the limits which an exegete must place upon himself. Teaching this typological event is even more difficult when one knows that his hearers may not feel so limited. But we must note that the author says that the doctrine of Melchizedek's priesthood is difficult to explain because of the congregation's dull hearing, not because the scripture lacks clarity. The author also states that they have become dull of hearing. At one point, they were not. In the context of the temptation the Hebrew Christians were facing to return to their old religion and way of life, one gets the sense that, for some of them at least, this temptation and the false teachers who were introducing it led to a kind of sluggishness in responding to true doctrine. We see this in modern times as well. How many people were raised and confirmed in confessional Lutheran churches only to find themselves going to college and later attending some evangelical church? They found themselves in a place where perhaps campus ministry sects began to get in their ear, and they believed this was the only way to stay faithful in the face of secular pressures from universities. The author of Hebrews writes to a congregation that had given their ear to the temptation to go back to Judaism. Clearly, their stagnating spirituality is a fruit of this. Verse 12 states, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. And the author chides the congregation, saying they ought to be teachers by now. Teachers of whom exactly? If we held the Roman Catholic magisterial doctrine, we should be quite shocked to hear that an entire congregation would be expected to teach. But while there is a teaching office established in Ephesians 4 verse 11, distinct from normal laity, every Christian is expected here to be able to teach those whom God puts under their charge. Pastors teach their congregations. Husbands and fathers are expected to wash their wives and children with the word, Ephesians 5 verse 26 and 6 verse 4. And mothers instruct their children under patriarchal supervision. Evangelists teach while evangelizing. Apparently, though the Hebrew congregation has been around for some time, they are failing at this basic responsibility. Instead, they need to be taught basic doctrine again. By oracles of God, the author uses logion, which simply means utterances. In other words, the word of God, the scriptures. They had already been catechized into the Christian faith, but doctrine is often a matter of use it or lose it. Someone who is not steadfast in learning the scriptures will often forget much, if not all, of what he learned. The congregation has undergone a spiritual regression. They have gone backwards in their sanctification such that they must be re-catechized with spiritual milk rather than solid food. But this does not mean that the author of Hebrews then schedules some seminar in which he goes over the fundamentals of the faith. Instead, since he does in fact start teaching the solid food regarding Melchizedek in the seventh chapter, 
he believes that this exhortation suffices for teaching, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. So what are these basic principles? While he specifies more in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, encapsulating the principles as the elementary doctrine of Christ and offering a few examples, the idea is the core of Christian teaching. We might compare what he is saying to, say, the small catechism, which establishes basic Christianity for anyone who reads it. Someone who focuses solely on the small catechism might learn good doctrine, but if they only superficially read the scriptures that give this doctrine to us, then they will miss out on the growth given by the other portions of the Bible and thus stagnate. Now, for the rest of verse 12 and then 13 and 14, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Milk is for children, and solid food is for the mature. Let us not take this message as meaning that there is a spiritual hierarchy of laity and priests and bishops and theologians and popes. All are called to maturity. All are called to discernment. All are called to distinguish between good and evil. This is a message to every Christian in that congregation, not to the bishop or the priest. Both milk and solid food are nourishing, but milk is what makes someone mature. He says solid food is for those who are mature. It does not make someone mature. Once one is matured by basic doctrines, as milk helps a child to grow, they learn discernment through this and then may engage in the distinguishing of foods, the understanding of more advanced doctrines, and the ability to tell whether a certain food or doctrine is poisonous or rotten. The intention is that an individual will have his foundation in solid basic dogma, and then move on to learning harder doctrines later on, without forsaking the foundation. This way he will be able to appreciate the treasures of scripture with maturity, while also being able to reject false teaching. Understanding the fullness of the importance of the Incarnation is an example of the former, as the author of Hebrews has brought up, appreciating an advanced understanding of doctrine. Reading through and understanding Irenaeus's Adversus Hieresius or Walter Martin's The Maze of Mormonism are good examples of the latter, rejecting false doctrine. On the topic of discernment, we must be, well, discerning. Though there is a kind of discernment that is solely a special spiritual gift, per 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, the basic understanding of discernment here is to distinguish good and evil, something every Christian must be able to do. Once someone has a firm foundation in milk and constant practice in this discernment, they must continue on to solid food so they may be skilled in the word of righteousness, the word of God. Truly, this enables them to do more of the same. 
to continue growing in maturity, to continue appreciating more and more from the scriptures, and also to be able to stand against those deeper and worse heresies out there that assail Christendom every day. Now, this is not to say that there are hidden doctrines in Christianity. Our faith is entirely exoteric. Everything is out in the open. We hide nothing from the world regarding our dogmas. However, not everything is appropriate for someone to learn during the early stages of their sanctification. We do not teach calculus to three-year-olds. There is a sense where, for some, they will not understand a single word of what is being said. It could waste their time, waste everybody's time, and leave them confused in the faith, struggling to continue believing. In other cases, well, if you teach a five-year-old how to use a gun, I'm sure that they will come up with a marvelous way to misuse it. As so many other people have taken advanced doctrines and misused them, misapplied them, and made a horrible mess of things, as we see has happened with typology and the few times that the New Testament admits an allegorical interpretation of the Old Testament. Everything must be learned in due time, when somebody is ready to fully understand and appreciate it. With that said, though, next week we will get into how exactly the author of Hebrews prepares this congregation to appreciate the deeper doctrines concerning Melchizedek. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.